God's grace, his mercy, and his peace are yours from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Tell me if I'm paranoid. Um, I travel often, and sometimes I fly. I don't, I don't do it that often, but whenever I walk up to the security line, there's always a part of me that wonders if I'm going to make it through. You ever felt something like that? It's kind of an irrational fear because I'm guessing 99% of people make it through, but there's always that 1% that doesn't make it through for some reason. And I feel as if I'm walking through that, maybe I, I look a certain way, maybe because I'm sweating profusely, because I'm, I'm irrationally thinking I'm going to be stopped. They're going to stop me and take me in a room for hours and try to grill me and figure out if I'm a terrorist or not. But it, it's never happened. I know it has happened. There was uh, one family who just adopted a child, um, and the child did not look like the parents, and they didn't have documentation, so they got stopped. And they got taken aside for hours trying to figure out what they needed to do. They were the 1% that got stopped. And for them, it was terrible. Hours waiting with a young child, trying to catch their flight, which they obviously missed, and then trying to find another flight. It was it was terrible. Sometimes you don't realize that there's this 1% that gets caught. And even with that 1%, even if you're the 99%, you, you always think maybe there's a potential that you're not going to make it through. There's another 1% that we, we're all familiar with, the top 1% in our country. Exclusive club where only the richest people are able to say we're the top 1%. And it's maybe something that we, we'd all love to be that, that rich. But then there's the, the bottom 1% too that we often don't think about. I'm not just talking about the poorest people, but did you know that 1.7% of people are born redheads? Now, that's not to say that they're the bottom of society, but that same amount of people, 1.7%, are people who are born with abnormalities who are overlooked by society for one reason or another because they aren't mainstream. They're not like anyone else, and so these rules and regulations that govern our society often overlook their needs, and they're left suffering and wondering if there ever going to be hope for them as they are completely different from the rest of the world. It's almost like a prison. They look around and they see everyone else functioning properly, doing things the normal way, and yet they can't ever get out of that bottom 1% of people. Almost as if there's no hope. Mark, on the other hand, he brings us this wholesome hope for all people today. He starts by describing Jesus who is wandering around in certain areas and it's easy for us to look at these, these cities and just glaze over them thinking, oh, Jesus is just going there. How nice. He's going to this other country. But Mark's gospel, a lot of his words are so very intentional that we've got to stop and look at what he is saying here by Jesus going to these little cities. You see, Jesus isn't in Judea, in Jerusalem. He's reaching to the far outskirts of Israel, where there are Gentiles, where there are Romans, where there are non-Jewish people, and Jesus is going there. The Tyre and Sidon, to the Decapolis, 
the area of Galilee. And this would have been surprising as Gentiles and as Romans would have read this. Because by this time, Jesus was gaining popularity. He just had the the grand miracle of feeding the 5,000. And those people certainly wouldn't have just said, oh, that's great, and went home. They they went home and they told people, and it spread from from household to household to, to city to city. And eventually, Jesus was pretty well known. And so when Jesus came to your city, you felt special. Just as if someone came to New Orleans, we somehow feel this connection with them. A celebrity was here. Oh, they must like us. They, they like our, our people in our city. And so when Jesus went to these cities, all of a sudden people began to think, Jesus relates with us, with people like me. He was right here. He was preaching at this spot in my hometown, and these people saw his miracles, and they heard his word Jesus is here for me. But Mark doesn't stop there. In fact, he shows that Jesus has compassion on all people by taking it one step further in our gospel for today. Mark chapter 7, starting at verse 32, it says, Some people brought him a man who was deaf, who could hardly talk. And they begged him to place his hands on the man. After he took him aside, went away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. He then spit and touched the man's tongue. So here's Jesus, crowds around him. He's becoming popular. People know about him. They know what he's done. He provides food. He heals the sick. He raises the dead. And now Jesus, in the midst of a crowd, stops and takes this one man aside, separate from everyone else. to to be private, to give this man attention. And he does something that is really, it's strange. It maybe causes us to cringe a little bit. He goes up to the man, and he sticks his fingers in his ears. Then he spits, and it's debated whether he spits on his hand or spits on the ground, and grabs this man's tongue. All of a sudden, Jesus is telling this man something. He's speaking to this man in virtually sign language, telling this man he knows what's wrong with him. His ears are not working. His tongue is not working. He's signed to this man who can't speak, who can't understand, who's been trapped in his body, who can't have the thoughts of other people because he can't hear the thoughts of other people. He can't converse with other people. And Jesus stops and he grabs his tongue and puts his finger in his ears and invades his privacy. If that man had any personal space, it was gone. Because Jesus was grabbing hold of him. And he was signing something to them, to him, that was more important than, I know what's wrong with you. Jesus could have went to the man and said, yeah, I know your ears are, are bad, pointing to himself. I know your tongue's bad. But he did it to the man. He touched the man's tongue. As if they were his own. Jesus was telling this man, your brokenness, your prison that you live in, they're mine. I'm taking your ears, I'm claiming your deafness, 
I'm taking the brokenness of your tongue. I'm, I'm taking it for myself as if it was myself. See, I, I, have, I can't have my own personal space. I can't invade it. And so I can go up to you and I can touch you and I'll say, this is mine, your ears that are broken, your tongues that are broken, and think of this man and the, the, the suffering that he went through. He didn't fit into society. He couldn't work. He couldn't communicate. He couldn't share his thoughts mean, in a meaningful way with anyone else. His tongue was bound down. He couldn't speak properly. And so this man was in a prison of his own body. Only his thoughts to himself. Only his own words to himself. No one else's. And Jesus steps up and he claims him. This is mine. And he speaks a word to him that's amazing on a few levels. This is what he says. After he put his fingers in his ears and touched the man's tongue, he looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephetha, which means be open. Now even before we get to Jesus' words, you again see his sign language. He looks up to heaven, showing this man that Anything that happens to him, any healing that happens to him, does not just come from this world. It has to come from God. But then this is the the maybe more deeper sign language that he gave. He sighed. Now, it wasn't Jesus sign because he was tired of healing people. Because this was just another man on his journey who came up to him and, and needed some help, and so he was sighing, okay, I will do it again. He wasn't sighing in that way. In fact, this, this word sigh takes on maybe even a deeper meaning than just sighing. It means almost to groan. When something's really painful, you groan. When when a, a mother's in labor, they, they groan over the pain. When you, you slip your, the disc in your back again, you groan out of pain. When you, you hit your foot and stub your toe, you groan out of pain. And here Jesus is groaning in pain. Jesus is in pain for this man that stands before him. He's sorrowful for this man that stands before him, not because it's just another man asking for Jesus' help, because it's someone that Jesus loved, who had the consequences of sin ravage his body. Because of sin and its consequences, this man was trapped in his own mind, with his own thoughts. For him, there was no hope. He was that 1% that, that couldn't make it out. He saw everyone else around him chatting and talking, and I'm certain that he wondered, what are they talking about? And this man just wanted to break free. And that pain, Jesus. Who better to know about sin and its consequences than Jesus? Who sat in heaven and saw this world fall into sin. And then, because it fell into sin, he came and, and lived in this world of sin, and, and he himself faced the consequences, the results of sin, pain, suffering, death. 
Jesus knew what this man was going through. He says, what you're going through is mine. See, that's the, the tough thing about suffering. If suffering was only for a little time, maybe we can endure it. If there was an end to suffering, we usually say, well, we'll suffer through it. But for this man, there was no end to his suffering. He was trapped. He was in prison. It makes it so much harder than to have any sort of hope. It makes it so much harder to, to have, have hope in, in the people around you because everyone looked at this man and they, they didn't see the soul that was in, inside of him. They just saw someone who was worthless and lost and someone that they didn't want to deal with and so by himself, he was lonely. And that same loneliness, that same prison actually hits every one of our lives because the same sin has consequences for us. As maybe we look around at the world and we see how generally everyone is, is healthy and, and, and active and then we look at ourselves and we, we see ourselves trapped in our, our disease, in our sickness and wonder, why do I have this? Why me? We look around and we see happiness. We think that's, that's something that we want. But it's almost because of our, our anxiety and our depression that happiness is, is more than arm's reach away and we can never get there. And it's fine if it was only for a time, but the suffering keeps on going and keeps on going. We look at families and see how they get together. And that, then we look at our own family and our relationship is falling apart and we're wondering, why is it that I can't get what they have? And we wonder and we sit, what did I do to deserve this? Why me? It's our own prison. The own bars that sin has put up in front of us something that makes us feel like that 1% that's overlooked, that people think are worthless and don't care for. Yeah, Jesus comes and he puts his fingers in this man's ears and touches his tongue. He says, Ephrathah, which means be open. And you could see exactly what happened. It was open. This man was freed from his own prison. And at this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosed, loosened, and he began to speak plainly. There, there's a few miracles going on here. Not only is this man able to now mechanically function and speak, not only does his ears receive and process sound, but at Jesus' words, this man who has never spoken once in his life, never spoken plainly in his life, began to speak plainly. Children, young children, begin to speak. They can't speak plainly. They have to learn. They have to understand how to form their words and the mechanics of their mouth in order to sound just like mommy and daddy and those people around here. 
Yet this man, in an instant, not only was his mechanics there, but his mind was there, and he could speak to any single person. His prison was gone. With a word, Ephrathah, be opened. Jesus freed this man. Our suffering may not be exactly like this man, but what Mark is telling us here is something we can take all the way to heaven. Jesus cares not just for this man, he cares for every single person. So much to get into our personal space, to invade our... uh, invade our privacy and invade and then say everything that you have is mine. Jesus doesn't just say just follow me just do what I do and we'll figure it out. Jesus comes to us and he says your sin it's my sin. He sticks his fingers in his, our ears and he says, your brokenness in whichever way sin has affected your life is my brokenness. It's not just that I give you heaven, but I, I promise to fix all the things that sin has done to you, that has ravaged your body. I promise to, to care for you and heal you because I have taken it on myself. Ephrathah, be open. And he frees us from our sins and the consequences of it. Just like he freed that man. And when the world seems to be stacked against us, and we wonder if there is hope for us, we walk up to that security line and there Jesus is. He says, Everyone has hope. I haven't done this just for this man. I've done it for you, for this church, for every single person in this world, so that you, you know there's, there's no risk of you not making it through. See, that, that's what destroys our confidence is that, that 1% where we wonder, when we take a test, even though we think we, we know we passed that test, there's that 1% that causes us to doubt, maybe I didn't do it right in this way. When we think about our children, and, or we look at ourselves, and we find some weird thing on our body, and we go online, and we see there's 1% chance of this wretched disease, and we think to ourselves, I have this wretched disease. Jesus wipes that all out and says, there is nothing there is nothing that will keep you from my love because I have taken it on myself. Sin and its consequences. And that's the brilliance of what Christ has done. Confidence in the face of suffering, but also because of this. Suffering brought about this Ephrathah. You see, in verse 32, it says, the people who brought him, they begged him to place his hands on the man. 
They begged. Jesus, please. Why? Because no matter what this man did or where he would go, he would never be able to solve his problem. There is no one on earth who could solve his problem. He could sit in front of someone and try to read their lips for hours on end, but he would never sound the same way. There was no other solution. And so these men begged Jesus because he, they believed, was the solution. Suffering brought them on a crash course with Christ. Suffering brought them to their Savior so that they could please they plead, please, Jesus, heal the man. Suffering brings us to our knees. Please, Lord. My prison, please, Lord. And that's when he comes to us, puts his fingers in our ears, touches our tongue, he says, your brokenness is mine. You can see that by the journey that Jesus had as he came from heaven. Came to earth, he suffered just as we did. He took that suffering on the cross. He says, I take it from you. Because of my death, your prison, your, the consequences of sins will be wiped clean. And there is your hope. There's, there's hope that now we can endure suffering because it will be only for a time because Jesus not only has given us salvation, he has solved the problem and the consequences of sin. And then when we meet Christ in heaven, there will be the ultimate Ephratha. When he says, you are free. Here's my kingdom. All sin, all death, all suffering is done away with. Be free. Amen. Please stand. We continue by confessing our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed, printed for you on the uh, middle page five in your bulletin. We confess. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.